This is Max Barry. You're listening to Booked. These guys will actually reenact scenes from the book for your listening pleasure. There's no length that they won't go to. Where three, three of them, not two, but three guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Sean Ferguson. And I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about this week is The Wolf Gift by Anne Rice. A little bit about the author. Anne Rice is a best-selling Southern American author of metaphysical Gothic fiction, Christian literature, and erotica from New Orleans, Louisiana. Her books have sold nearly 100 million copies, making her one of the most widely read authors in modern history. And the synopsis for The Wolf Gift, as uh, pulled from from Amazon and slightly edited by Rob. (laughs) A young reporter on assignment from the San Francisco Observer, an older woman welcoming, welcoming him into her magnificent family home that he has been sent to write about and that she must sell with some urgency. A chance encounter between two unlikely people. An idyllic night shattered by horrific, unimaginable violence. The young man inexplicably attacked, bitten by a beast he cannot see in the rural darkness. A violent episode that sets in motion a terrifying yet seductive transformation as the young man caught between ecstasy and horror, between embracing who he is, evolving into, and fearing what he will become soon experiences the thrill of the wolf gift. Rob, how much did you cut out of that synopsis? Um, it was honestly about four paragraphs longer than that. Um, and the weird thing is those, um, those, those ellipses in between like, like cutting the sentence up. That's not me. That's actually how it was where I copied it from. So, um, obviously the listener can't see that, but like, there's actually like, it's like little snips of, of lines. It's not, it, it, I, yeah, it is. I couldn't find a good synopsis anywhere, no matter how hard I tried. Well, that's not shocking. Well, and here's the thing. I was thinking, well, <laughs> well, Livius is going to read this, and all right, I, I want to do a little bit of a um, <laughs> a little caveat before we start talking about the book too much. It's going to be very spoiler heavy, and it's probably not going to be very positive. <laughs> positive. Um, so, so be warned. Um, and the the synopsis, I kind of glazed over while <laughs> Livius was reading it, and I wasn't really paying attention. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is pretty much like the book. Yeah. Um... We'll go into a little bit about the story before we get into uh, <laughs> into opinions. Um, it's a story about a, a young man who uh, who becomes a werewolf. I mean, it, it's the premise is very basic, much like uh, a lot of other werewolf, you know, slash vampire fiction is. Um, he inadvertently gets involved in this situation, and it follows his transformation from man to um, man wolf, as he refers to himself throughout the story. Yeah. <laughs> what what cracks me up is that the synopsis is so fucking long for a book about nothing. <laughs> and so like uh severely worded, you know, a violent episode, unimaginable violence, seductive transformation and really I mean, it's not like it's an action packed like edgy, you know, page turner or anything like that. It's it's Kind of like walking in a park with an old person, you know? Yeah. I have no idea what that's like, so. Take, <laughs> well, neither do to... I, but it's, okay. <laughs> it's the way I imagine walking in the park with an old person would be like. 
Um, you know, just based on that, I'm gonna. I, I know that we save our, our our quotes for for the end, but I'm gonna go ahead and throw one out here anyway. Um, it, it, just to, because well, I don't know what walking in a park with the old person's like, but this is gonna give you some idea of some of the things you're gonna hear us say about the writing. He leaned forward and kissed Marchant. She didn't turn away. Her lips were tender, rather like a child's lips, he imagined, though he had never actually kissed a child. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> though he'd never actually kissed a child since he'd been a child himself. Uh, <laughs> all right, now I... I imagine it's like walking in the park with an old person. Although I've never walked in the park with an old person, but so, I might one day when I'm old. So you just essentially told me that I'm Anne Rice. <laughs> you, you could be Anne Rice. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I remember that. Now I didn't. I didn't mark that for some reason, but I remember that. And and I mean, the first thought obviously was that's a little creepy, and the second thought was there's got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. So, I guess the story. If we want to talk about really what the story is supposed to be, so this guy gets turned into a wolf man, and um, I don't know, like he's just kind of dealing with it. That's kind of the deal, right? He's kind of dealing with it and trying to figure out the story behind the original owner of this house that he was sent to do a story on, um, because there's some vague mystery about them and and the the guy that originally owned it uh kind of disappeared and everything it's so there's he's kind of investigating the owner of this house while he's dealing with his <laughs> his man gift his wolf gift i guess <laughs> right yeah, am i good I, yes i think i think so i <clears throat> i think what she tried to do here was and and i and maybe i'm wrong what the hell do i know but it, it seemed like it was like she was trying the the underlying story was um Ruben, the the main character, just kind of coming into his own. He's kind of been this somewhat sheltered child that everyone thought was, you know, fairly incompetent and got by on his looks um, alone. She makes numerous, numerous references to. Now, I never had a nickname when I was a, a kid. I don't have one now. Um, but you know, everybody refers to him as you know the sunshine boy and little boy and all these ridiculous nicknames that I don't believe would ever be used by real people. In two thousand eleven. Yeah, right. well, it would have been when he was a little younger, but yeah, exactly. So, so I think that what she was trying to show us is is his transition into manhood and into being kind of self, uh, yeah, just just becoming a capable adult on his own after he receives the uh, the wolf gift. I think that's what the underlying story is supposed to be here. I could be wrong. So the real transformation is a transformation of self. Yeah, this could have been called Ruben grows up. Yeah. The perks of being a uh, a wolf flower. Uh, anybody, anybody else have any thoughts on what the, <laughs> the book is about before we talk a little more about the actual story? <laughs> Sean, what do you got? Sean, what do you got? Uh, I just want to curse a lot. <laughs> I really do. This book made me so angry. Yeah, at, at various points from when uh, Sean started reading the book on Facebook... He would post on our walls saying, I really hate you guys and stuff like that. So we knew what we were in for with how Sean was going to feel about this book. Um, I, I think 
we've done a decent job of kind of representing what the story intended to be. Um, if we want to just start talking about the issues that we had with it, I'm okay with that. Sure. Let's let but Sean... first, <laughs> hold, hold, hold on a second. What I, I have to ask, because I, I just don't know, what the fuck do you think that she was actually trying to do? Do you think, like, she was trying to, like... Do you think this was her answer to Twilight? Yeah. yeah. Um, to be honest, I, I I haven't read Twilight, so I don't know what that's like. But I have to imagine that it's definitely in the style that I imagine Twilight is like. And let, let's look at her history. And I I will say that I I went into this with a very open mind, probably more so than my two co-hosts. And, and here are the reasons why. Um, I was a pretty big fan of Anne Rice with her early work. I probably read eight or nine of her books, uh, most of them 20-ish years ago. Um, you know, and, you know, so I went into this kind of with an open mind. But, you know, in answer to, to your question, Ferg, yeah, I mean, she brought vampires to the forefront in 1976, I think, with Interview with a Vampire, and it had kind of its resurgence through, you know, through the 80s. And then in the 90s, we had the movies, and, and you know, and it became a big deal. And, uh, yeah, I think that she saw Twilight and saw that the, the Wolf Boys were the more popular or becoming the more popular um, uh, of that story. And I think she probably tried to capitalize on it. And and so with that being said, no one, family, friends, agent, <laughs> publisher, anyone came to her and said, Lady, you're not on this fucking planet anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, here's the thing about it. Like, Anne Rice writes a book. You're, you're seeing dollar signs. It could be the biggest piece of shit. It's the thing I said about Patterson before. Like, It is the biggest piece <laughs> of shit. And that's fine because it's still going to sell millions of books. That's what I said about Patterson in another episode. He could write his name at the bottom of someone's, like, you know, book report. Like a, you know for a sixth grade book report or something like that. And it would still sell more than, you know, a, a really great literary author could fathom selling in their lives. I'm sure you guys aren't really familiar with the last series she did. I just did the quotation marks with my fingers because the series wound up being two books. And then she dropped that for the wolf gift, which will also be a series. Apparently mm -hmm. um, it was about an assassin who's drafted by heavenly people to become a problem solver in the past. That's what the premise of Angel Time was. I have no idea what you even just said. Yep. So she Tales. watched. She watched the Boondock Saints. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but no. Like this guy travels back in time, and I read it. I actually looked on Goodreads to see what I rated that, just so I knew what to rate this one. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so it was a couple of years ago. But no, he travels back to the sixteen something or fourteen something or whatever, and and you know has to solve this issue that's going on in the past. So that's what her last series was. So this this might be at least at least from the the you know the premise that she pitched to publisher agent friends and family sounds a lot better. And you know what? To be honest, the uh, the reviews I read, I was like I, I felt so negative about this book. I wanted to read some reviews about it, and I've read a lot of really glowing reviews. Somehow, again, they might not have read the same book as me. Um, but a lot of people were saying, yeah, this is a welcome return to what she's best writing or something along those lines. So I, I guess that's valid. 
as far as what people perceive. And I have no frame of reference because I have never read an Anne Rice book before this. Um, but that's kind of, yeah, the tone that I got was that she's kind of returning to what she does best, which to me just frightens me because I didn't think this book was good at all. And one of her books at the very least spawned a movie. One, at least one. I I don't know. I This was my first exposure. I'm, <laughs> I'm like 65% sure that she's responsible for Interview with a Vampire. Do I have that right? <laughs> yes. You are correct. And uh, <laughs> Queen of the Damned. Oh, right. That piece of shit with the dead chick. With right. Aaliyah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, her. Yeah. With, the, with the plane and the gravity and whatever. Yeah, um, if the plane didn't end her career, Queen of the Damned was definitely going to. Yeah, so... So can I so can this, I interject though? She is responsible for a third movie too, and I'm <laughs> sure that a lot of people don't realize this. If exit you, to Exit to Eden. Oh God! <laughs> you just made that, yeah the one exploded. the one with the one with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Rosie Aykroyd. O'Donnell. Yes, that one. Now, oh. in her defense, that book was not bad. But here's here's an interesting. I know we're totally off off the subject here, but here's kind of an interesting tale for people who don't know who may have seen that movie and wonder what the hell I'm talking about. The rest of that story that takes place on the uh, hedonism two kind of island where there's like the people go there and have sex with these you know sex slaves whatever. That's what her entire book was about. There were no funny detectives that were there investigating anything. So Hollywood threw in. Um, O'Donnell and Aykroyd and turned that into just a horrible flaming piece of crap. Well, what year was that? Oh, God, that had to be. 90 uh, what? Yeah, three, maybe. I don't know if only there was a way we could find these things out. So what? She's like 102 <laughs> now. <laughs> so she wrote that when she was still old. 1994 is when the movie was made, so the book was probably three or four years before that. Brutal. <laughs> but David Delaney looked really good in that. There you go. All right, so um, back back on back on track a little bit. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm gonna derail you a lot. No, that's fine. All right, so I had a, I had a handful of notes of things that I just noticed that were were the things that bothered me about the book and and one of the things it seemed pretty obvious in and Livius you and I were talking about this earlier is, is this whole idea about morality and and the way that it plays out the book is really strange because um first of all there's lots of god there's lots of god all over this book um and there's lots of murder <laughs> so of course you have to reconcile the fact that you've killed someone and when you're a wolf, this is a new thing and everything. And it just seemed really weird that, like, you know, they're they're analyzing these 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 questions of morality and what's right and wrong. But then right in the middle of it, there's, like, people cheating on their girlfriends and their boyfriends and everything. And as if it was, like, no big deal at all. They're like, you know, she wrote it so strangely. Like, when when these people find out that they're cheating, they're both cheating on each other with other people. And when they find out, it's almost as if they're relieved because it makes their life easier that they don't have to worry about that person anymore. It just came off as so, like, ingenuine. Not not genuine. It, it felt very fake. See, that part didn't bother me as much, because I think at that point in that relationship between the two people, they, they were done. And, and I think that it was the easier way out than one of them having to, to do the deed. 
the part that really bothered me is, is oh, I don't know, five or six percent into the story, Ruben sleeps with this older lady, Marchant, Marchant, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. And his thought is right before he does it is that Celeste, his longtime girlfriend, won't have much of an issue with it because Marchant is much older. Right. And that doesn't make any sense because, like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, she's not a threat because she's older? Right. So he can sleep with women who are in their 40s all he wants because that's not a threat and that doesn't cause any jealousy from his girlfriend. Yeah. Even though there's clearly a threat because there's P into V with the old broad. <laughs> There is a lot of P into V in this uh, in the book, and but all right. So here, what you're saying about that, um, them at that point in the relationship, them not you know it, it's over. In the beginning of the book, it's clearly not over. I mean, he they it, it kind of hints at that there might be some things that he's not happy with, but to me, it felt very one sided. So, and then, uh, I guess towards the beginning, it. it rushes through a couple months of time while he's recovering from being attacked and all this, you know, whatever. Um, so by the time that they actually get to the point where they're cheating on each other and it's okay, you know, X number of months have passed by, probably not that long, but you just didn't, I didn't feel an organic change from a committed relationship to I'm, I got to get out of this. Yeah, I guess I see what you're saying. I just felt like Ruben kind of just didn't care at all about anything anymore, except the new girlfriend. Right. And that's fine. Like, because obviously his life had changed, but I feel like to be more genuine, I would have expected the girlfriend to at least lose her shit a little bit about it. And she was like, you know, I don't know. Let's attack this. Let's attack this at the root. The characters are very flat and unbelievable throughout this book, or at least the majority of them are. There are a few characters I genuinely liked, but most of them are just flat, unbelievable characters. Are we all in agreement on that? Oh, God, that was like the most generous way to word that ever. (laughs) What did I say? Uh, A lot of them serve no purpose. This is, I think, with the big point I had. The brother. uh, okay, Okay, so the characters that she chose, it seems like she was doing like, you know how like, you know, in in a in a in a work like break room, they have like those posters and it's like a diversity thing. So there's, you know, <laughs> certain like everybody's got, you know, there's you, know, you represent all the genders and multiple ethnicities and stuff like that. It feels like that's what she did with the characters because there was like he was a journalist and his mom was a surgeon and his father was a poet and his brother is a priest and his his girlfriend is a lawyer. And it's like it's like one of each like she just, you know. It's a sample pack of like society. It it just felt so fake. I totally missed that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I knew what they all did. I just never really thought about how how vastly different she tried to make all of them, therefore making them all kind of the same because they're just mm-hmm. I don't know unimportant and, people. And, and it even went further to the the old guys that showed up at the end the the, the rest of the wolves or whatever the fuck you want to call them <laughs> you, you had the the quiet thoughtful one and then you had the guy that started it all and then you had it, it was more of the same yeah and even there was that Marek guy towards the beginning who didn't last very long he was oh like yeah the, crazy, the rebel of the group yeah, yeah. The impetuous one who you know gets his yeah. just desserts yeah, but he see, was. No, I, I liked all was, those guys. He was the grumpy dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <God> damn it. 
<clears throat> I could have waited to say I like those guys till after I heard that, so I would ruin my credibility with with that statement. Hey, it's okay but, to like the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> Back to what I was saying about unbelievable characters, though. There is um, so okay. Obviously, this guy becomes a wolf. We've already addressed that he meets this other woman. So let's just talk a little bit about how he meets this woman and how realistic <laughs> this portion is. Okay. He is, uh, he is fully in what he refers to as his man, his man wolf state. So he is, uh, as we find out through the course of the book, he's roughly seven feet tall. He's probably around 300 pounds. Um, he walks upright was my impression or can at least, and usually walks upright and he can talk. Okay. So he can speak clear, concise, thoughtful sentences to people. Oh, it's he's a low around. growl. It's a low growl. He's, Rawr. he's walking through the forest and yeah. he sings, correct? Yeah, sing. but like All in right. his like in his Batman voice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he happens upon <laughs> this cottage in the middle of the forest, it's middle of nowhere, and there's a woman on the porch who's heard him, and she's standing there now, staring at a seven foot hairy beast that's singing. Within two or three minutes, and probably an exchange of seven or eight words. She has sex with him. She lets him into her house and has sex with him. Yes. Can I? So she's not. She's not terrified of the crazy. Um. Um. You know. Werewolf. Uh, yeah. I like. Like. I just don't. And my comment to Robin. This was half joking. Is so she sleeps with this werewolf that she meets. You know, within like I said, matter of ten minutes, maybe of, of actual story time. Um, where, what else has this woman been into? Like, where has that become acceptable? It would have been bad enough if he showed and up in his more, man form. Looking more importantly, for what is her phone number? <laughs> exactly. Sean's getting his so, uh, wolf costume from the cleaners tomorrow. I would have found it pretty slightly unbelievable, at least based on the way she was writing these characters. If, you know, if his car broke down, he wanted to use the phone and she had sex with him when, with inside 10 minutes. But there is a full-fledged monster you've never seen before. And she's totally cool with, with, with having sex with him. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe that's, yeah, her, cause, that's cause, her fight or flight response is like, some people are like, run. Some people are like, shoot it. And she's like, fuck it. <laughs> there <you go>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we go on with this, I, I want to I remember to say this because this is a part of the book that really threw me off. I, I don't know if it was at the part where he first met her or later on, but he was talking about the house she lives in. And she made it a point in the book to specify that she lived in a house that um, was in an area where people weren't supposed to live because of, you know, forests, you know, whatever regulations and stuff like that. It was part of a protected area. But and this is the part I had an issue with. So the description that she gives in the book and I, I'll just say what basically what she said was that um because this house was in a, in a protected land, it shouldn't have been there, but it was quote, like, she actually said it was grandfathered. She said something like it was literally grandfathered in because she got the house from her grandfather or something weird like that. And I, I guess besides the fact that it was worded really horribly, it didn't mean anything to anybody. It's not, I mean, there was no purpose for it. So it was just like, it was one of those things And Livius and I've talked about this in the past where like, it's something that just completely destroys the flow of the reading because you have to stop and think about it. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, that bugged me. I kind of glazed over. I remember the section you're talking about, but you're right. It served no purpose of actually explaining anything. Yeah, like she just, lived in the forest. Like, there you go. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. You don't have to justify, you know, like the location of, of 
I mean, unless someone lives in the area she's describing and was like, hey, wait a minute, you know, like there would be no, I mean, 99% of the people who read the book would never cause, raise any, any concerns with that. More about characters? Sean, what do you have on characters? Oh, Christ. Uh. <laughs> he's, he's not in this, but just missed it. It was like three books ago she wrote that one. <laughs> Let's see. What do I have? Uh, not one of them is likable, even though we're actually told, literally told to like one. Uh, <laughs> Felix, uh, where the men are written like emotional sissies all on the verge of nuclear meltdown. Uh, the main character, uh, for instance, what is his deal? <laughs> Not only does his family and friends regard him as some sort of child, but they, they've they nicknamed him this horrible, horrible nickname that no one would fucking use in 2011. Mm-hmm. But But he's just this emotional mess. He's a mess. Even even when he goes through this massive transformation and becomes this horrible monster and becomes this superhero that fights crime and <laughs> whatever. In his Batman voice. <laughs> even then, he's, he's, well, whatever you want to do is fine with me. It's okay if that's what you want to do. I'm agreeable to fucking everything. And and the women are written like fucking assholes. His mom's bossy and tells him what to do. His girlfriend or ex-girlfriend or whatever, Celeste, is <clears throat> this overbearing, what was she, an ADA district yeah, attorney? Yeah, yep, yeah. She was awful. Uh, the, the new woman that he picks up that lives in the middle of nowhere where her the, the property was grandfathered in she she bends over and quite literally takes whatever is given to her like she has no backbone whatsoever there's not one likable character at all at all yeah i well you know what the guy that uh the guy that the groundskeeper or whatever the guy that that takes care of the house that that um, Ruben moves into, I liked him. He seemed like a pretty cool guy, but yeah, he occupies a- about a quarter of a percent of the whole book. So, you know, we made mention of the the kind of elder werewolves that show up throughout the book, and you know, I liked as a I liked Felix, who's the mysterious guy who owned the house. But I liked those guys as a group. I actually thought they were okay. The problem was is that the intrigue that they you know, kind of just pulled out of me, didn't come until 80% of the way into the book. You mean <laughs> the very last chapter? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so. that, we'll get into that. Like, the, the pacing and the structure of the book was a little bit... I want to throw out too. one more thing um, on uh, on character. So, as we kind of mentioned, I don't know if we made this really clear, so Ruben becomes a superhero who um, is drawn to um, helping people who are being accosted by evil people. Okay. Um, at one point, he um, hears you know these voices that are begging for help, and he goes to the home of this elderly couple whose daughter is torturing them. <laughs> now, I, I, you know, 
again, just, I mean, here's, here's what's unnecessary. As he comes busting through the window, you know, the woman, the, the, the daughter has a, a steaming pile of feces on her mother's chest and is about to feed it to her because her mom fed her crappy food when she was a kid. Like, like even, even like the hardcore villains, like, like the first guy, like you got, like, he's like attacking a woman in an alley and he's maybe going to rape. Yeah. He's a rapist there. Yeah, you know, so you you get like that. That's okay. You know, later there's there's a, a group of uh, gay bashers, you know, like that. But really, you know, like I could understand if, you know, the, the mother is being beaten, but she's tied up and about to be fed steaming feces as he busts into the window. It was just, this book just lost its believability in so many places. So yes. many places. And what's worse about that is, <laughs> I just thought about this now. This is actually one of the times where, like, um, he – I don't remember specifically, but there was, like – I know there was a part where he had heard voices but wasn't able to go help them and then later on came back to them. So the poop woman <laughs> was the one who had to wait for his help for, like, another day, basically. <laughs> so she had to eat more shit because he had other stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, just – <laughs> I don't know, you know, and then you said Batman a lot and there are like other parallels like, you know, he's a reporter. So that makes him like Clark Kent. You know, he's got rich yeah. parents. That's a Batman thing, you know, just kind of the wealthy superhero, you know, Iron Man was wealthy. But yeah, it's very obvious that she uh, she, she did some comic book research before she turned him into a superhero man wolf. She, she even addresses when he talks about Man-Wolf that he looks up Man-Wolf and that there's like a, a, an obscure comic <laughs> book character named Man-Wolf. <laughs> right, because he's worried about copyright or something? Why did he... Well, he, I... was, well he, was, he was naming him that for the newspaper, so oh. I think he was trying to make sure that, you know... He wasn't, he wasn't infringing. infringing. Yeah, okay. That makes sense then, I guess. Let, let's stick with the poop lady for a second. <laughs> of course. How, how did I know? How Bird did wants I to stick with the poop. Oh, no, 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 no. It has very little to do with that at all. I I have another note about the ridiculous dialogue in this book. It's supposed to take place like now, the story. Mm -hmm. Let's ignore all of the romantic nonsense that we would have gotten if we were reading and reviewing Sense and Sensibility and, and... Nobody in this book talks the way that they should for just a moment. This creature breaks through the window to attack this woman who's trying to force feed shit to her mother because the mom, when the daughter was younger, fed undercooked or overcooked or bland food with not enough fucking salt on it or whatever whatever her deal was this creature's come through your window why are you taking the time to give them your backstory yeah you know that didn't occur to me but yeah that's probably yeah Uh uh-huh yeah that's a very good point because that does seem for little... instance, next Well, yeah, week, she should have she should have just had sex with him. That's what the other women in the book does. <laughs> that is absolutely right. Like for instance, next week when I come busting through your windows in the suburbs of Chicago, I'm not going to have sex with you. <laughs> don't give me a bunch of nonsense about how your mom couldn't cook when you were 6. Just get naked. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lesson learned. See, and maybe that's a good thing about this book. Had we not read it, we wouldn't have learned that lesson. Exactly. <laughs> right, so Sean touched on it a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about what else we may or may not have liked about the writing. All right. Uh, first of all, all right, one of the things that I noticed uh, pretty pretty much right off the bat, but then was alarmingly consistent throughout. Um, and this isn't necessarily writing, but it was just like, it's a, it's a matter of choice that I was confused about was the product placement. I know that when you do movies and stuff, you can get paid for product placement, but I don't know in books if that's an option, but man, she drops iPhone, Porsche, Bose. There's a lot of like big kind of expensive brand names that she throws out there really consistently throughout that I was like, it didn't add to the story by using that brand name. She could, he could have said phone, not iPhone, but everybody has an iPhone and she says it all the time. And I didn't really understand, you know, what the purpose of that was. It, it was, it was more of the, of the same problem with the house in the woods. It was just, you had to stop and read and, and try and figure out why this was actually printed <laughs> the way it was. I mean, uh, unless they're FaceTiming or playing Angry Birds, why was it specifically iPhones? Because no one in this book was doing anything more than making phone calls or sending text messages. So why did it all? It always had to be an iPhone. Even even the caretaker of the property was like, "Oh, hey, look," or maybe it was the sheriff. It was the sheriff. I'm sorry. It was the sheriff. He's like, oh, here I've got pictures on my brand new newfangled iPhone. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a second. You did miss one part. There was the the couple of scenes where Ruben as the werewolf is taking his uh, his kind of like, <laughs> like like MySpace pictures of himself with the iPhone. <laughs> That's right. Oh right. Did, any, did right. anybody else picture mirror. him like holding him like up over his head, like smiling and you know snapping? Yeah. His pictures. Yeah. He's I was like, just I was just sad that we didn't get cleavage shots. I wonder if my tramp sh- stamp's going to th- show through my fur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, some of some of the issues I had with the with the right <laughs> mentioned one at the top of the show. There, there are just these these sections that things they like just don't make any sense to me. So um, there's a section where where. Ruben is actually writing for for the newspaper and he's writing about because he is the first one to be attacked or involved in an attack with with the werewolf. He's kind of the go to reporter for all of this. So he writes a few different articles throughout the course of the book. And in one, he's he's going on and he's kind of trying to dissuade people from holding him in superhero status. So he he's (laughs) here's here's the quote and I'll explain to you or maybe you guys right away will understand what I mean. She says he cannot be thanked for this any more than an erupting volcano or an earthquake can be thanked for whatever good may follow in its wake. Can someone explain to me what good comes from an earthquake or a volcano? Oh, I want to answer that. <laughs> I'd like to hear your answer for that because. Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, Hawaii wouldn't exist if it weren't for erupting volcanoes. Okay, that's possible, but by and large, well, the statement is, I mean, just... I'll, <laughs> I'll see your Hawaii and raise you a Pompeii. <laughs> Bam. Or maybe it's a terrible metaphor for the gift itself. Because it's a curse? 
She also has a way of uh, using these really obscure words. And, and I, I know our correspondent from the Netherlands likes to use obscure words, but he does it on purpose. But tenter hooks, did you guys have to look up what tenter hooks were? Because I did. No, because I didn't give a shit. Uh, yeah, I could have looked it up. I could have moved the cursor on the uh, on the Kindle down to the word tenter hooks. Just didn't. Just went on with my life. I figured I had the context well enough that I didn't just I just didn't bother. And then my last gripe about the writing is more of a character, more kind of back to the characterization. But there's this whole scene where Ruben finally comes face to face with Felix, who he's been very interested in in, in meeting because he thinks Felix has the answer to uh, to the wolf gift and, and to what has happened to him and can guide him and lead him and that type of thing. So there's a scene in this attorney's office where, where they meet and their attorneys are present. And they have quite possibly the dumbest and most uncomfortable conversation <laughs> where Ruben is hinting around about, you know, this other friend of Felix's that was there and that he had threatened him and that, like, he's not around anymore. But he was hoping Felix would understand because, you know, Ruben just needs some guy. And it's like this stupid, uncomfortable conversation it goes on for probably 10 pages. The lawyers are sitting there and they're just as stupefied as I am through the whole thing because they're going, what the fuck are we doing sitting here, you know, listening to this? And I'm thinking, what the fuck am I doing reading this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like one step removed from like them just speaking in pig Latin, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's yeah, (laughs) very, very, very well put. So there's there's my gripes (laughs) about the right. You guys can take over from here. Oh, let me check out my long list of notes. Um I love San Francisco. I've been there several times and, and the whole Bay Area, I really like it. And there's a lot of the thing I like about it. And I want to be very clear about this up front. The thing I like about San Francisco is that it's very diverse. It's diverse in a lot of ways. It's got I mean, obviously, it's a very expensive place to live, but you've got, you know, a ton of, you know, ethnicities and and, um, you know, it, there's the whole range of, of wealth to poverty and, and there's it's a good representation of a lot of different parts of our culture as America. The San Francisco that is depicted in this book is essentially a place where rich people don't have to worry about like regular real life daily things because they've got a lot of money and they essentially do whatever they want and they have jobs just for the hell of it. And um, I was just surprised that, that a place like San Francisco could be written in such a boring and elitist way. I don't know anything about San Francisco, so I have nothing to add to that. Seconded. All right. Well, you know. <laughs> I know. I understand what you're saying. I just have no frame of reference to. Um... <laughs> well, I mean, it would be like writing. I mean, Chicago's got a lot of similarities with San Francisco. There's a lot of diversity. There's, you know, there's a, you know, like Washington, D.C. is very boring because it's a very political and, you know, kind of one dimensional um, cities like Chicago and New York and stuff like that, you know, you've got pretty much anything you can look for. And in a way, San Francisco is the same way, but not the way it was written in this book at all. It, it was just, it was confusing to me. Uh, I got that, <laughs> which really that's a non-starter, I guess. Um, I guess my biggest problem with the way the story written was something that Sean touched on really early on and is that there's not really a story. So you've essentially got, this is what I, this is how I would explain it to anybody. If I was just telling him about it on the street, you've got a story about a guy who's rich and entitled, got a job as a reporter. Um, really, I think the job was handed to him. He had connections that got him the reporter job. Still lives with mom and dad, driving a Porsche. Um, sleeps with this woman who is doing a story on her house and becomes a werewolf. 
And then the next 400 pages are us reading about everybody's feelings. And that's pretty much it. And they're not even well-written feelings. So it was frustrating to read. It was <laughs> it was frustrating to spend 400 pages just praying that at some point she was going to give you some sort of plot or, you know, and, you know, something besides people being emotional or faces being ripped off by claws. And and they're being emotional about absolutely nothing. Like it's a, it's a series of events that you're reading about and and everyone's worried about their own personal shit. Not about what's what's happening in front of them, what's going on in the world or whatever. What happens and what they're feeling almost seem to have nothing to do with each other. No one learns anything other than information that's carrying on the plot itself. There are no life lessons learned, taught or presented, and... Therefore, because there's no character dilemma, there's no tension and, and ultimately no consequence. It's just a bunch of – it's a series of events and everyone's all upset during all this shit that's happening and then the story ends. Well put. <laughs> very well put. Um, the one thing I will say about that is uh, she's very obviously – she was very open about this being um, the first book in a series – Oh no! So, yeah, so we'll have you back on again in six months, um, Sean, no. for when, no, when, uh, no. when when Wolf Book Two comes out. Wait, I thought I was doing Damn Two first. Sure, well, whichever, whichever comes out first. first. We don't yeah. know what they're probably first. Subjects. And actually, with this one, I think we can just let you do it on your own. You can you can read it, and the three of us will talk about what you thought about it on the show. <laughs> <clears throat> My my other thought, and I got sidetracked, but um, you, know, you talked about iPhones and her whatever. Some of it, it just may have to do with her age, man. The lady's 70. So I don't know what type of editing she allows on her work. She's very obviously, she's one of the world's most successful selling authors. You know, I don't know if anything, if she allows anybody to touch anything after she's done with it. So some of that stuff may just come from, man, maybe she's just a little bit out of touch. That could have to do with some of the language. Um, you know, some of it came off as very forced. You know, maybe all the commentary on iPhones and Porsches because she thinks that's what's cool and that that would sell it to people because that's how she sees 23-year-olds with Bose stereos and iPhones and driving Porsches. I don't know. So about 80% of the way into the book, there there's a pretty big event. It's... it's, it's uh, so a lot of things happen and the stuff kindly finally comes to a head with these villains that were barely there throughout the book and they're thwarted and, you know, so, so 85% of the way into the book, I'm looking at my Kindle right now. Anne Rice says the night's horrors were behind them. The night's horrors had been climactic and were done. And, you know, when <laughs> I read this, it, it, it dawned on me and then I read a few more pages. All right. So it, it seemed weird, but then I, I read a few more pages and then I thumb back and highlight it because I realized that she just told people that was the climax. She had to actually state this <laughs> is the climax and everything else I'm giving you from here on out is fluff. And that's remarkably accurate, but here's all right. The, I want to take issue with the fact that like the scene that is the climax is the climax because it sadly is probably one of the most action packed scenes in the book. But this is what it boils down to. And again, we're spoiling this book. So uh, if you don't want to hear how the book ends, don't listen to the next like minute or so. But essentially, there's these doctors, scientists, whatever they are, who want to take 
these wolf people captive and they go to the house where all the wolf people are even though they don't know that all the old wolf people are there but they want to take the new wolf people captive um and they get some uh and sean you're going to be able to chime in on this they get some some doctored up you know paperwork that would allow these scientists doctor people to take um the wolf people into custody against their will basically for medical reasons or whatever. And so you've got the people at the door, the wolves at the door, so to speak, which is <laughs> fucking hilarious. Um, <laughs> uh, with these scientists and they bring a bunch of cops and they're like, we get to take you now. And the wolf people obviously are like, we don't want you to take us. And then <laughs> out of nowhere, random wolf just like bursts through the door, kills the two doctors and leaves. End of story. That's it. That's the most exciting the book ever gets. And it's like, like Livia said, 80% into the book. And then after that, fluff. It, it, I don't know. I take a lot of issue with that being... Because like after the fact, I read through that and I was like, oh, I don't see how anything crazy is going to happen after this. That must have been the climax of the book. I'm terribly disappointed. Well, and if you weren't sure, it says it right on the page. Right, exactly. That and, was climactic. <laughs> and then you still had 45 pages to go. Mm-hmm. But, I, Sean, you had something about those the paperwork. Of, yeah. of 45 pages of exposition of this is what you've just read. Let's explain all of it. Yeah, and Livius and I were talking about this earlier on the phone, and here's my thought about it. You're exactly right. That's all it is, is exposition. So, like... The the threats I'm gonna and I'm doing the air quotes on threat because the biggest threat was a couple of scientists who were trying to you know whatever anyway who were easily taken care of and and then after that this exposition is essentially all the backstory of what happened with these older wolves and what they could have done very easily I've seen it done in other books is is kind of thread it throughout as like another plot like a secondary plot that doesn't that you understand what's going on, but it doesn't really make sense how it ties in until later in the book. And at least that way you're getting it in little pieces throughout instead of after the book is essentially over and you don't want to read it anymore. 50 more pages of this happened and this happened and this happened. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to agree with it's terrible part of it's all clumped at the end and the book seems very anticlimactic after Sean said 40 ish pages of that. Um, that was the most interesting stuff of the book, though. I, I, I agree with you. And I think that <laughs> I think I even had a note where I said uh, I, I, there's a part of the book where you find out that that the older wolves at some point were being held captive by scientists. And that's essentially what these scientists were trying to do with these new wolves. And um, when you find out about that, my thought was, man, if I was reading a book about when these wolves were captured and and what they went through to escape and everything, that would be like that's a much better story. Yeah, because something happens. Like, there's something at stake. You know, there's there's some transgression, and then there's, like, you know, something's going on. <laughs> Instead of, like, reading about a bunch of, like, you know, wolf people sitting around a table eating Thanksgiving dinner and talking about the crazy shit that happened in their past, that's boring. That's really boring. Yes, it was. <laughs> so, <laughs> a very bad end to what I considered not a very good book at all. I'm going to try to give her some kudos here, but I'm only going to do it if you guys will agree with me on this. Stop it. Wolf, her wolf origin story. What did you guys think? Um, I'm on the fence about it. 
here's the thing. Her whole idea about the wolves was interesting. It's definitely an interesting take. And the whole idea is um, they're not these mindless killers who basically turn into like animals and hunt for the sake of just killing things that they're, you know, they're driven by some sort of moral, almost moral imperative. And that's, that's, it's interesting, but the way it's written, I mean, I guess it could have been done well. The way I look at it is the way that it's written. It's almost as if she was like, how can I run in the opposite direction of what everybody's done with werewolves in the past? And she just tried to take it to the opposite extreme with all these feelings and like, you know, purpose and everything. And it it didn't work for me. But at at the same time, she didn't, she didn't do anything new either. She took all of the rules that we, you know, the silver bullet and, and they can only change when the moon is full and, and, she took those rules and she relaxed them to a point that would make her story convenient for her. She didn't introduce anything new at all. Like, uh, I don't know, there, the, the sight of red convertibles drives them crazy or something. It's <laughs> like, there, there's nothing new at all. She just took the rules that already exist and made them lazy. Yeah, I guess the rule for werewolves is women with gray hair make male werewolves horny. Yeah, I didn't joke. think about that, but yeah, that is that is one of the rules. Um, I agree <laughs> with you, Sean. She really did like, and and I guess that and again, haven't read Twilight, but I did see some of the some of the movies, um, and it seems like it's kind of a parallel there because like, you know, they can go out in sunlight and you know stuff like that. So relaxing the rules so that they're convenient. I, I, I could see that. I agree with that. All I want to say was that, um, and I think just generally overall, it's always very brave to take a, um, you know, a creature, a monster, something we're all very, very familiar with and write it an origin story because that lends either credibility or, you know, she could have gone with one, witch cursed the first werewolf and that could have been it. So I like the direction she took their origin story in. It was probably one of the more, you know, ugh, for what you can get for a werewolf story, realistic, I think, without involving a bunch of crazy supernatural stuff that happened. Uh, you know, you have a, you know, a, a character, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but you have this man who winds up in this place for a reason, and, you know, and the things that happen to him that cause him to become, you know, the man wolf. And I thought it was just kind of interesting in how she did it, and one of the best things I thought in that book. Okay, it was kind of cool, but at the same time, like, so... <laughs> <laughs> he he picks up this wolfy thing from this group of other beings. I'm just going to say beings. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the way that they got this characteristic is not explained or is explained in a very vague way. So like, it's like saying, you know, my friend gave me this book that he got from someone else. I, I, I don't know. It's just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I see what you're saying. Like, there I don't wasn't know really an origin because we didn't get an origin of those people. Right. There's no, like, there's no, we don't see point, you know, the very first point, uh, patient zero or whatever. We don't see that. We just see, oh, you know, I found these ancient people who have this and that's how I got it. And, that, you know, so again, it's still, again, like Sean said, he's not doing, she didn't do anything new with it. She just explained it in a unique way, I guess. Yeah, and I can see that. I guess I didn't think about it that way. I accepted her explanation for those people, and it was very vague. 
Yeah. Now, I mean, again, that's something that had it not come almost at the end of the book and she, she kind of did flashback style, like this happened, you know, and, and, and like kind of woven it into the story. But it seems like she wrote it's, it to me, it feels like she wrote, you know, the 80% of the book and then realized, oh shit, I didn't explain anything. Here's 20 more percent where I talk about everything and hopefully it makes sense. Instead of like taking those parts and kind of like weaving them throughout the book so that, you know, you're seeing the present day, you're flashing back to this. And then like, you know, as you go on, eventually it all gets tied together at the end in a clever way, which I think would be more entertaining and easier to swallow. Agreed. Sean fell asleep. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Okay. I was thinking about Batman with laser beams coming out of his eyeballs. <laughs> See, that's the story we need to write, I think. Um, yeah, well, you get the origin story where his parents die. And and you get that whole story and you rehash it, but you add something new to it. Like Batman? Laser, like laser beams out of his eyeballs. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> um, I think I'm kind of running out of gripes. Uh <laughs> Ferg, you got anything else uh, you want to say about this book before we move on? You want me to bitch about that paperwork, don't you? I I thought that was interesting because you have a unique perspective and it's almost like word copying. But it's up to you. Okay, so at the end when the, the doctors come to the house for the main character and this, we'll call him Robin for the sake of making this an easy explanation. Robin, the the baby wolf of the group or whatever, so the doctors are coming for Ruben, the main character, and Robin. <clears throat> and they've got these two chucklehead paramedics down by the, the perimeter of the property just kind of hanging out, waiting for shit to go down. And there's this... I, I want to say it's like two pages of these doctors squawking about the paramedics and and the paperwork and Ruben's mom gets involved and she's like, oh, no, no, I want to see the paramedic that wrote the order for these for Ruben and and the other kid werewolf to be to be committed. Mm. Paramedics don't write orders for shit, <laughs> anything at all, at all. Never, ever, ever. That's a doctor's order, first of all, first and foremost. Um, and and I guess you can explain it away by saying that the scientists were trying to pull a fast one or whatever, and they had these two guys dressed up as paramedics with an ambulance that they bought and dressed up as a local ambulance or whatever. It, it, it was just one more it was one more thing like the iPhones and the Porsches and whatever she's out of touch and has no idea what she's talking about I would have accepted it a lot more if it was just 450 pages of Geritol and <laughs> uh, fucking Efferdent or whatever it's called <laughs> wow the other part of that is that again the paperwork thing can just be implied and it doesn't have to be explained so there was really no reason to go into that sort of detail that she went into as far as i'm concerned she also has uh 
she also has some issues, not just with paramedic paperwork, but with um, physical descriptions of people and things too, I think. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about this. I forgot. Oh, this is because it's, it's, it's one of my quotes. But um, Livius, all right, going back to the third episode of Booked, Livius, uh, <laughs> Livius and I read uh, Sunset Park by Paul Oster. And there was a description in that book where he was describing a giant fat person. And I can't remember the exact line, but um, it was something along the lines of like the guy had to be 220 pounds or something like that. And Livius took issue with that. Ow. Because. Ow. (laughs) Well, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. Like I weigh in a little over 200 pounds and nobody ever refers to me as like the big guy or the fat guy or, you know what I mean? So I can't, I would never look at someone who weighs, you know, must weigh 220 and think like that, that guy's really big. Right. So in this book, um, there's the part toward the end where this seven foot tall werewolf breaks through the door and kills the scientists. And it's being referred to later on a few pages later when for some reason she actually has characters telling the cops the story that we just read. So we're basically reading it for a second time. And the description of this seven foot tall, like super muscular werewolf at one point it says, (laughs) this is a quote I took. The floorboards were shaking under the thing. It must have weighed 300 pounds. (laughs) Damn it. It must have weighed 300 pounds. And I want to, all right, I want to make something clear. The 300 pounds is probably what your average, like, linebacker, you know, weighs in football. And I, personally, am a bit of a chunky guy. I'm, I'm, I weigh just north of 300 pounds. Unless a floorboard is severely compromised already, it's not creaking under me. So I, I don't understand why 300 pounds is some extreme amount of weight. Um, so just had to kind of word cop that. Yeah, I, I, and, you know, by comparison, the only thing I can compare it to is, you know, there have been wrestlers who were, you know, big guys in, in professional wrestling or whatever, and the seven-footers, you know, the big ones, they weigh upwards of 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. Andre and the again, Giant, yeah. Yeah, well, Andre the Giant, I think, was close to 500 pounds. So, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and that's a big guy. So, yeah. But uh, my other note that I tagged on to here, too, and this is very, very early in the book while Ruben is uh, about to be seduced by the uh, by the cougar lady. Um <laughs> She says to him, now he's 23, so they have this conversation where she says she's 40-something, and she says, and how old are you? And he says he's 23, and she says, and so tall for that age. As if the growth spurt maybe usually comes around 27 or 28. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think most of your actual physical growing is done. Well, there's there's the a section in the book though, and that's and I, I don't I don't know anything about medicine. I know about as much about medicine as I know about politics. But there is a section where a doctor in the book says that you really don't stop growing until you're 30. And, and I have no way to validate that, but that, that seems unlikely to me that people continue to grow. They're, they're addressing because Ruben's hands are getting bigger and, and you know, because of this, this whatever he's contracted that may, causes him to be a man wolf. And uh, here, here it is. I, I have the quote. You're still technically an adolescent. You're still growing. You probably will be until you're maybe 30. Which, and, and okay, maybe that science exists. I, I don't know. But they're using that to explain the fact that he's got, like, alarmingly high levels of, like, certain hormones in his body. And that his body is, like, visibly growing, like, overnight by, like, you know, significant amounts. So, again, eh, why, why did she, why'd she go there? 
I, I, guys, I, I have to go back to saying it. So she's just got to be out of touch. It's got to be the old age, and she must not allow anybody to touch her writing after she's done with it. Yeah. Must be. Must be. All right, man. We are well over an hour into this thing, so let's get our uh, let's get our ratings <laughs> out of the way. So, Sean, being the guest on the show, um, we're going to let you go ahead and launch your um, stars, maybe plural, I don't know, um, at this book before we Zero. I'm saying zero. This was brutal. Brutal. Do we even, do we even have a zero? No, this zero exists. I'm making it up then. Wow. You blazing yeah, a trail, zero. buddy. Blazing trails, bitches. <laughs> do you have any commentary on it, or are you just going with the zero and dropping the mic? I, you know what? I, I think we've covered it. There's. Uh, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Ferguson. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless for the first time in a long time. Honestly, the only redeeming parts to this story, in my opinion, were uh, the parts where he was attacking the evildoers. Because there was very little dialogue and very little emotion. I mean, there was him being upset and he's going to avenge these people. But outside of, like, she didn't really get into a whole lot of emotion there. Other than that, it was painful for me to read it. Zero. Big fat zero. Right on. Okay, Livius, what do you got? Um, I am going to be far, far, far more generous than uh, than Sean. Um we had really flat characters. Um, I think there was a little bit more of a story than my co-hosts do. Um, although it wasn't very strong. Um, I really liked the origin story. I liked the older werewolves. I wish that we could have seen a little bit more of them. Um, I was originally going to go with two stars on this, but you know, the more we talk about it here, I can't do that because that's actually by our uh, good read system. That was, it was okay. So I'm going to go with one and a half stars. It wasn't okay. But I didn't. I didn't hate it nearly as much as Sean did. All right, <clears throat> that leaves me. Uh, my essential feelings about the book are: there's not much of a story, and it seems like while she had some ideas that could have worked if she wrote them well, nothing really panned out for her. Um, there was stuff she could have, you know, done a better job of writing and then there was frivolous things that I don't even know what why they made it into the book like uh, towards the very end the werewolves take a little road trip down to Mexico and kill a bunch of people in a brothel don't know why that happened uh, but it's in there and uh, <laughs> and uh, so things like that it just it was really hard to to just get brought into the story I was questioning things too much and it was just too painful for me um i'd like to say the book had promise but like in, in the way that you know anybody has an idea and and if you give it to the right person who writes it well sure it had promise but otherwise i mean it wasn't that good of a book and so i'm going to give it one one star i would just like to clarify for anybody that's keeping track that i did like this book better than one q84 just in <laughs> case anybody noticed a discrepancy in the stars i still liked it better than one q84 Wow. I did not. I actually prefer 1Q84 to the wolf gift. Even the, all right, even the parts that like Livius, I, I'll concede that the, the older werewolves were like the best part of the book. But I mean, like, I don't know. They weren't really exciting, awesome characters. They were just kind of like guys who 
hung around talking philosophy a lot and being all charming with each other. It was like, I don't know. It, it didn't, it didn't fly for me. So yeah, even the parts that had the most promise kind of still, I thought sucked. Because she didn't do anything with it. For instance, the, the trip to Mexico was what, like two pages at best. Yep. I don't so even you know were, it was that much. Yeah. You were supposed to read the summation of an adventure into Mexico and accept it as such. Like, oh. that's honestly, and that's not the only instance, that's where the real story was, I thought. Yeah, like I said before, that whole, when they refer to them being captured, that, you and you agree, that would have been a fantastic story. If this book, if she scrapped 300 pages of this book, 380 pages of this book, and took the, you know, the... 395 pages of this book and took that little kernel and grew it into something bigger probably would have been pretty cool. She didn't do that. Guys, that, that 10% or so that we're referring to, it's the goofy montage in the eighties movie with like the music in the background. (laughs) Like they fly down to Mexico, they kill a bunch of like brothel owners or whatever. And then they're like running in the park together, you know, in the forest. And there's like some, some bad air supply song in the background. It's true. That's what that was. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like to prefer I, – I think I'd like it to be the theme song from Benny Hill. <laughs> uh, see, that puts a whole different weird spin on it, though. Yeah, but it would be really cool to see wolves murdering people to that music. Well, they're in a brothel, brothel, yeah. so – Oh, yeah. They run in one door and, like, someone else runs out another one. Like, kind of, like <laughs> The women are scantily clad. And they all look yeah. astounded and they're holding, like, some small piece of, piece of cloth over their uh, – Exposed places. Yes. All right, we're moving on from this right now. God damn it. Once we get to exposed (laughs) (laughs) places. Rob said exposed places. We got to shut this down. Mm. All right, let's let's leave poor Anne Rice alone. (laughs) Let's let's, let's wash our hands of the wolf gift and move on to very, very exciting uh, segment on our show. Are you talking about read this, not that? Oh, yeah, I am talking about read that. Let's forget what I said. Let's go to read this, not that, because I forgot all about that. All right, let's do that. Sean, you had some suggestions for reading that. Um, uh, yeah, I'd rather read Franzen. I'd rather reread the raw shark text. Wow. Sean would rather watch Down Periscope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's all I got. All right. I actually have some serious read this, not that's <laughs> we, uh, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh no. I was absolutely 100% serious. Oh, all right. <laughs> my apologies. Okay. Well, all right. So here's, here's my suggestions for people. If you're looking for a book that has a lot of feelings in it, and I, this is kind of my more funny one, really anything would be better than this. I mean, I break the book down into two basic things. It's got wolves and feelings, and she didn't really do either of them too well. Um, even the latest Dexter book has more compelling feelings and emotions in it, and it's actually got a part where a giant hammerhead shark bites a serial killer in half. So, I mean, really just go to any book. Even, like, House of Leaves is more compelling with emotion than this book, and that's kind of a horror book. Uh, as far as werewolves go... Uh, not so long ago, Livius and well, I guess is 
going a few months back, Libius and I reviewed The Last Werewolf by Glenn Duncan, which was a fantastic, fantastic book about werewolves, and we really enjoyed it a lot. So um, if you're looking for something good that's recent about werewolves, I would absolutely suggest going with that instead. And even even that has, has more compelling emotion and feelings and you know and and the development of characters than than you'd find with uh this wolf gift book i'm gonna second what rob said about the last werewolf and i will go a little one step further and say if only glenn duncan's werewolf were the last one we wouldn't have had to read this Ah. (laughs) there it is all right (laughs) (laughs) very well done livius that was probably the high note of the moment I, i note of the evening of course, after everybody else tuned out, I get my moment in the in the spotlight there. I can I can cut this toward the beginning if you want me to. <laughs> Just put it right in at the beginning so we can get out of the way before anybody tunes out. So uh, let's 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 move on to uh, what's becoming a really really big segment on this show, Patterson Watch. Patterson Watch. Dun dun dun. Um, we're a little bit late on this one. Uh, we kind of slacked off a little bit. It's because we recorded like three episodes and haven't done this in two weeks, so we didn't have a chance to really cover this. But on February 12th, Private Games came out. Oh, God. <laughs> um, all right. So there's... <laughs> Livius had a great time reading this synopsis to me earlier over the phone. Um, but I, I can... Do uh, you guys want to take turns? Because there's kind of three parts. Oh, I'd love that. All right. It's like booked theater again. Booked theater. All right, I'm going to kick this off. All right now... Each each part starts with a little bolded area, like a little bolded, you know, three, you know, couple words. And mine is on your mark. Private, the world's most renowned investigation firm, has been commissioned to provide security for the 2012 Olympic Games in London. Its agents are the smartest, fastest, and most technologically advanced in the world, and 400 of them have been transferred to London to protect more than 10,000 competitors who represent more than 200 countries. Get set. The opening ceremony is hours away when private investigator and single father of twins, Peter Knight, is called to the scene of a ruthless murder. A high-ranking member of the game's organization committee has been killed. (gasps) It's clear to Peter that this isn't a crime of passion, but one of precise calculation and execution. Die. Newspaper reporter Karen Pope receives a letter from a person who calls himself Cronus, claiming responsibility for the murders. He promises to restore the Olympics to their ancient glory and to destroy all those who have corrupted the games with lies, corruption, and greed. Immediately, Karen hires Private to examine the letter, and she and Peter uncover a criminal genius who won't stop until he's completely destroyed the modern games. That's the synopsis for Private uh, Games. Hardcover, February 12th. It's been out for a little while now. I'm sure a lot of you have already picked it up and read it. So, you know, we're just kind of rehashing what you already know about the book. Um, I'm sure the first 30 chapters are available to read for free somewhere. Oh, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So um, this book is uh, by James Patterson. Let's not forget the, the co-author, Mark Sullivan. He has his name in small print at the bottom of the, the front page. Um, it's available everywhere books are sold, literally. Literally everywhere books are sold. You can get this book. I actually have it for sale in my house. That's how. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Rob, Rob sells it out of his house. 
that's how common it is to find a place <laughs> to buy this book. Uh, but that's not all we have for, and I'm going to let Livius take the reins on this one because he discovered this gem. Uh, that's not all we have for Patterson Watch this week. There's another exciting book uh, at a reasonable price that you can buy as well. While oh. doing the, the extensive, <laughs> extensive research for Patterson Watch this week, I came across um, another book that isn't by James Patterson. Um, but it's called James Patterson, A Critical Companion. And then parentheses. Wait a minute. Says, wait a minute. I don't know if you did the em- emphasis right. Did you say another book that isn't by ba- James Patterson or another book that? <laughs> it's not by James Patterson. Another book that isn't yeah. by James <laughs> So in parentheses, it says this is apparently part of a series called Critical Companions to Popular Contemporary Writers. Now, this is a hardcover book that Joan Kotker wrote. So uh, apparently, after you're done reading all the Patterson books, if you can't understand the depth of a book like that, <laughs> you're not just able to wrap your mind around it, you can get the critical companion. And it's very important. It's the critical companion, like that author at the bottom of the page is the critical companion in that, in that author relationship. Um, and you can get this for a very, very reasonably priced forty six ninety five, And wait, wait, wait for it, guys. Free shipping with Super Saver. And Amazon. <laughs> I like that that the author for most of uh, James Patterson books, the co-author is the critical companion. Yep. But this is a critical companion, like a companion that critiques books. Am I right? I, I, yeah, sure. I have no idea. Just trying to get us all muddled with the words, but yes, for the <laughs> the astonishingly low price of forty six ninety five for a companion book to help you figure out what's going on in James Patterson books. Now, I didn't mention, sir, this is a hardcover. So I don't want you to think you're getting like a trade paperback for this price. I know that's what you were thinking. (laughs) I'm picturing it like a coffee table book. Like, you know, it's kind of oversized and it's got a, you know, a, a really colorful looking cover so that when people come over, they can see how, you know, sophisticated you are because you have a James Patterson critical companion book on your coffee table. Um, there is only one review for it on Amazon <laughs> and uh, it's a, it's a one star review and it's unfortunately it's, you know, we talked about sport. You can't read a book until you've read it, right? This guy was gave it a one star because of the ridiculous price and that was it. So he didn't speak. He wasn't able to speak to the high quality of this book before giving it a rating. <laughs> it's got, I mean, forty six ninety five. it's got to be good, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, come on. It's a crit. It's critical. It says it right in the title. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, have you read the critical companion? I have not. I was okay. busy reading Anne Rice. <laughs> hey, you know what, Livius, you and I are book reviewers. So technically we are critical companions on this, uh, this podcast. We are, we are, we should write a book and sell it for forty six ninety five. <laughs> An Anne Rice critical companion. Mm-hmm. So All right. That's what we have for Patterson Watch this week. Patterson Stay tuned. Watch. Stay tuned for more exciting Patterson news in the future. That's right. We're not letting any Patterson slip through the cracks. If it's out there, we're going to let you know. Yeah, no Patterson crack. Slipping. All right. Uh, Livius, what else we got for, for, for news in and around the literary world? 
All right, something I'm very much looking forward to, and um, depending on uh, on when you're hearing this, um, on March 3rd, um, D.B. Cox, friend of this show um, that you've heard us mention uh, a few times, um, has is the featured poetry writer um, at uh, the Nervous Breakdown, which you may be familiar with because it's also come up on episodes, um, especially recently, a couple of times. But um, Richard Thomas has some involvement with it, and so have some of the other guests that uh, that we've had on the show. So there's going to be a self-interview and um, one of his poems called Cisco Sits Bleeding. So um, March 3rd, that's going to be up. Um, so when you're hearing this, mark it on your calendar. If you're hearing it past there, head over to thenervousbreakdown.com and check out D.B. Cox. Absolutely. And I hope that I'm the only one that had this. But uh, when you said Cisco Sits Bleeding, I immediately, th- the thong song went into my head. Uh could you no, maybe hum that... a couple bars? Because I don't know what that is. <laughs> no, no, I won't. But Sean does have dumps like a truck. Truck, truck. <laughs> All right. So yeah, sorry. Uh, to derail I was like, that. what, what, what? <laughs> DB Cox, writer, uh, featured poetry writer, March third, nervousbreakdown.com. dot com. of your butt, butt, butt. Oh, he's still on Cisco. <laughs> All right, we got to wrap this up because I don't want. I don't want him to hit the chorus. <laughs> All right. I was Sean. thinking about doing the bridge. <laughs> Sean, you want to tell listeners where they can find more musings from the Ferg? No. Easy enough. <laughs> Down Periscope Fan Club dot com. I think is what that's that's absolutely right. <laughs> That's gonna haunt. Oh me no, forever. the brown periscope, right? Isn't that what you decided? Yes, the brown periscope. You <laughs> absolutely correct. All right. Um, hey, Liv, what do we got coming up in our in our future episodes? Over the next few weeks, we have um, a ton of exciting content coming up. But for our next book review episode, we're going to be reviewing Raylan by Elmore Leonard, which is uh, what the show Justified the TV show Justified is based on um, a short story of his, where he introduced Raylan Givens. I'm very excited to get into that as I'm a big fan of the show. Um, we uh, have... Now it all makes sense. Sean's like, why didn't they have me guest for that? <laughs> I offered him a choice between the two. He did. He did. And he neglected the two, so I was like, you're reading Anne Rice. He, he wasn't very clear, though. Oh, wow. Well, all the blame goes on Livius. And, and while we're, uh, we're heading south with our reading, we're going to be heading south to St. Louis for Noir at the Bar next week. And we're going to be bringing you some really great content from there. And we're going to keep that under wraps for a little while longer. We're going to have some terrific content from there and hopefully some terrific content from AWP as well. That's right. Mr. Ferguson, our guest host, is going to be heading west from New Jersey to Chicago to join us and a bunch of other really cool people at some readings and other stuff that's going on. So I know that I'm going to have at least two devices to record things with. So we're going to try and get as much as we can uh, recorded that we can kind of work into some general AWP coverage in episodes kind of sprinkled throughout the next uh, few weeks. And that's about it, right? Um, I mean, I could read off our itinerary for the next month and a half, but yeah, I don't think we're going to. Cool. All right, well, if you want to get a hold of us, you can get us at bookedpodcast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook and find out everything that's going on with us. That's uh, facebook.com slash bookedpodcast. And you can tweet at us. We are on Twitter at bookedpodcast. Sean, thanks again for taking time to 
to read that book <laughs> and to come on the show and talk with us about it. We really appreciate it. Oh, it was well worth it, I guess. <laughs> the enthusiasm is just dripping from you. I'm tired and drunk. What do you want? All right. Uh, okay. I think that just about wraps it up for this uh, book review episode of Booked with our special guest, Sean Ferguson. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudden. Keep reading. Ice Cube, baby. 99, baby. I'm on the grind, baby. All the time, baby. You can do it, put your back into it. I can do it, put your ass into it. You can do it, put your back into it. I can do it, put your ass into it. Put your back into it. Put your ass into it. Down these back streets, loving black street, treated like an athlete. Life ain't a track meet. No. It's a marathon. Fuck the cemetery that a nigga.